Hey, Whiskey Ringers. I am thrilled to welcome back Impex Beverages as the Whiskey Ring Podcast presenting sponsor. Each month, we'll be talking about a new set of single casks, maybe feature a chosen distillery or a single cask from a chosen distillery. Listen for the mid-roll for more info on this month's offerings. And now, a brand new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey I'm going to try that again. Hey, folks, welcome to an episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. My guest today is about as far away as you can possibly be from me, um, which I think he's okay with, but we'll see. So my guest today is Matthew Johns. He is from Pocono Distillery in New Zealand, the North Island of New Zealand, just a little bit south of Auckland. And I'm pretty sure I can't get farther away from New York City than this distillery. So Matt, welcome. Um, you are a full day ahead of me at the, as well. So welcome on. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, David. That's great. Yeah, I think we, there is a direct flight, I think, actually, from us to you now, but I think it takes something like 19 hours or something. So. Oh, God. I, no, thir- I did 13 hours to Israel. And that, was, that was a killer. I can't do this ever again. <laughs> um, so I, as I was telling you before, uh, before we started recording, you know, as a newer distillery, as one that didn't do things like putting out white whiskeys or vodkas or gins uh, before you were ready to produce the whiskeys. Uh, Bokina was just coming on the scene. It's yeah. fairly new product to market. So I'm going to get to ask some of the basic questions that usually I have to skip over because you've been asked them a thousand times and I'm kind of excited about that. So, you know, let's start with that. Let's start with what is, you know, how did you get to this place to New Zealand and to Pocono? Uh, it's a it's a long story. So, um, I think I think I'll do that in in two parts. Is is firstly, how did we get to New Zealand? Um, we've been in New Zealand now for close to twelve years. Um, I, my brother actually lived in New Zealand for twenty twenty five years now, and he was getting married to his Kiwi wife uh, twelve years ago. He said, "Come over for the wedding." And a bit like you, we went, oh, that's a long way to go. And we said, look, if we're going to go over, we'll go We'll go over for kind of six months. Um, my wife is French, Celine, um, and we were living in France at the time. The, the kids were, I think, three and five at the time. Um, spoke no English whatsoever because we were speaking French all the time. Um, and we said, it's a great experience. Let's go over to New Zealand, put the kids into school, um, do the do the six months, and then come back again. And, and kind of we never quite made it out. Um, after five months, everybody was enjoying it so much. They were going, this is absolutely fantastic. The lifestyle is great. The country is beautiful. Can we stay? Um, and so we kind of took the decision to stay in 2013. And then it was more about, okay, well, if we're going to stay, what are we going to do? Um, and I've been in the whiskey industry for 26 years of my life now. Um, and basically the only thing I knew how to do was make whiskey. So we kind of went, well, if we're going to stay, why don't we make some whiskey? Um, at the time, there were no distilleries in New Zealand at all. And obviously New Zealand has these fantastic natural attributes, um, you know, tall mountains, pure spring water, an incredible climate for maturation. Um, so it seemed kind of an obvious, an obvious route to go. Um, so that was kind of the basics of how I got to New Zealand, how I decided to stay and why I decided to make whiskey. But I'm sure we'll develop that more in the, in the coming hour. Absolutely. And uh, just going going to that, the I was trying to look up a history of distilling in New Zealand and that there really isn't much. There's this, the, what was it, the Wellington Distillery? Is there, no. It was the, no, it was the, so, the, so the, the history uh, in New Zealand, uh, there used to be um, a distillery called the Wilson's Distillery. Um, that was down in Dunedin in the, in the South Island. Um, that was actually a Seagram Distillery, um, but that was shut in 1992. 
Um, there was a little bit of stock remaining from that, which was, um, I think, bought by a private investor. Um, and then it was rebought by a company that set up at the start of this century, the New Zealand Whiskey Collection. Um, and they've been gradually releasing some of that old stock over the last 10 or 15 years in very small batches. Um, but there was there, there really was no distillation in New Zealand at all from, from I'd say, 1990 up to about 2000 and. 12 13 i'm tempted to say um there's a there's a there's a couple of guys who did some distilling matt thompson thompson whiskies um real cool guy did some real cool distilling and still does today um and then yeah you've gradually over the last kind of three or four years had a few distilleries which are starting to pop up um and yeah we start we started our distillery in 2017 um we kind of we took a couple of couple of years to build build it up um pocono um why pocono is that so so the north island new zealand is uh mostly listeners won't know this probably is but new zealand is two distinct islands everything sits that tiny speck on the end of the map um at the arse end of the world which we are at the arse end of the world we, we always know that um but actually new zealand's quite big so for, for me to drive from the top of the north island to the top of this to the bottom of the north island would take me 18 hours yeah, when we when we fly from the North Island to the South Island, it's a two and a half hour flight. So 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 it's not as small as that little speck that people think. Um, and you've got two distinct islands with two distinct different climates. Um, you have the North Island, which is a subtropical island. You know, crazy levels of humidity, palm trees, beaches, uh, uh, cyclones, as you've recently seen, etc. And the rest of it. Um, and, and the South Island, which is which is very much the Alps. Um, you know, you've got the high mountains. You've got the the, the colder, more temperature. Um, you've got snow. You've got ski stations in the winter. Um, so it's two completely different um, different climates. Um, so, so we've always lived in Auckland in the North Island. Um, and so we, we were looking around Auckland to say, okay, within an hour's radius, what would be really cool for making a distillery? And there's a couple of things that drew us to, to Pocono. Um, the first thing was the water. Um, so Pocono is in a valley just over the Bombay Hills, which is a range of volcanic hills, which surround this valley, um, which is almost below sea level. Um, and we're kind of down at the bottom of this valley. Um, we've got our own water source uh, beneath the distillery and it's the volcanic water, which kind of collects from the hills and drains down into the source below us um, so that was the key thing was the new zealand pure water being able to, to to base ourselves there and get access to that fantastic water um, it's a water which is really rich in iron and manganese so great great for distilling um, and the second thing was for the maturation as well I mean, you, you know, we're obviously in a subtropical island, but with, with the levels we are at in, in Pocono in this, this humid valley, uh, that is accentu accentuated. Um, we're sitting at kind of 95, 96% humidity most of the time down here. Um, <laughs> so that kind of accelerates the maturation in a crazy way, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about a, a bit later on as well. Oh my God, 95, 90. Uh, so you have to, I like the cold. I like the colder, the better. <laughs> I'm starting AC in like April. I start yeah. putting on the AC to pull out yeah. the humidity. So the yeah. idea of 95 to 96% humidity, even part of the year to me is it's like a non-starter. So that's like, so, like distilling like, outside of Florida. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's incredible that it's that long. Yeah. I think probably because of map distortions that I can go on a whole tangent on this, but um, it's kind of like the maps you see where Africa and Greenland are the same size. Yeah. Yeah. When in reality, Africa is seven times the size of Greenland, but That's because it. the map distortion, yeah. it's off. So, um, yeah, I had the idea that New Zealand was much smaller. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, an 18 hour driving, that's not, and that's just for the one island. Uh, 
I think it's the other big, it's a very it's a big country with five million people, so it's, yeah. there's plenty of room in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the I think also the image of New Zealand that most of us have is probably of the South Island, if I had to guess, just because uh, for better or worse, the immediate image of New Zealand that I think of is like Lord of the Rings scene play cool. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm a huge fan of that. So I, I, but that's again, like you were saying, the Alps, the mountains, the cold, yeah. more desolate kind of thing, as opposed to a subtropical. Yeah. So in terms of what we've seen at, in film, in popular culture, et cetera, yeah. I feel like the South is probably a little bit more represented than than the north yeah island. i'd agree i'd agree you know there's there's yeah i mean that the there's fantastic scenery all over new zealand and you know if you look at uh you say you're lord of the rings etc fan etc and the rest of it hobbitons in the north island so the kind of the oh, growing right. green hills etc and the right. rest of it and then you down to to the south island so those massive magnificent kind of uh mountain river shots and stuff like that right that makes sense one day i will get there one day <laughs> one day um, you'll jump on that 19 hour flight and yes <laughs> um, you know, it'll be like a two month thing. Uh, of course, I have to include Australia, New Zealand. I'm, I want to get to Japan. I've got to do the whole Pacific Rim oh, at some point. Yeah. Um, but that is a trip to come. Uh, back to uh, to Pocono. So, um, you know, you were focusing mainly on on Pocono, but just to bring it back just a little bit, uh, you mentioned you had history in the whiskey industry. Yeah. Um, so you're not starting from scratch per se, sort of knowledge wise. When you created yep. this new distillery, uh, with the relative lack of New Zealand distilleries, um, and uh, I think it would be fair to even put in just South Asian distilleries and Oceania distilleries. Uh, what setup or what what did you look for in terms of inspiration for your distillery when you were thinking about both design and what kind of spirit you wanted to create? Yes, I think, you know, as, as you say, I was fortunate that I have been in the industry for kind of 26, 26 years. So we had a pretty clear idea of, of what we wanted to do. Um, so, so we had a clear vision as well of trying to put New Zealand on the map as a, as a kind of single more producing nation. Um, so we kind of scaled the distillery straight away to size that it would be able to develop a, a global brand. Um, we also decided that we were going to only focus on single malt whiskey. So there were no white spirits, no, no, no founders casks, no contract distilling, no, no, nothing like that. Um, and I think, you know, we, we, and this is more my personal preferences that, I mean, I, I, I personally, I love my smooth and sweet whiskers. Um, it's, it's something that, uh, that I'm just a personal fan of. So, so that was the profile that I was always going to, to try and make. So, so I think we had, we had a clear idea of kind of, you know, what we wanted to do from a scalability point of view, what we wanted to do for a volume point of view, how we wanted to build a brand over a 10 year plan. Um, and we had a pretty clear idea of what sort of whiskey we wanted to make. So after it was all about kind of selecting and designing the equipment and the, and the distillery to be able to, to deliver what we, what we wanted to do. Um, probably made us, you know, do a, a lot more of a bigger, bigger upfront investment than we probably wanted to originally to actually get there. Um, but yeah, it makes our life easier down the further down the track. And uh, forgive me, this is an impertinent question, and feel free to, to tell that you can't answer. But uh, I, as I was watching one of the very few interviews that I was able to find, <laughs> um, it was on uh, NBR. NBR, yeah. And uh, you're saying. On that, it was a, a 10 million investment. 
up front, mm. really, just to to build, yeah. to fill the casks and and bring them to those three years without putting out any of the, as you're saying, other products beforehand. Yeah. Um, was this from you know outside investors, personal investment? Yeah, no, we have we have fully financed the distillery ourselves. So 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 today it was something that we kind of we kind of we went into and we said you know clear vision we are we're a family owned business we want to be a family owned business um so so yes so we we've kind of yeah put put all the funding in our ourselves kind of thing to to make sure that we're masters around destiny as well it's the the whole the whole ethos behind Pulcanor was for me it's a passion project um it's a culmination of kind of twenty five or twenty six years in the industry. Um, and, and for me, it's all about making the best single malt we possibly can with no compromise in anything we do. Um, and that's the clear thing that's written on the wall here. There is no compromise in anything we do at any single part of the process. Um, and that that's kind of every, in everything. You know, it's, it's, so that was that was essential for us that we had control of the distillery and that it be they'd be fully family owned. So, yeah, so it's myself and my wife own the distillery um, and it will stay it will stay that way as well, which is uh, protecting, protect, protecting the future. That's excellent. That's it's a rare thing to be able to do. And it's. Uh... Yeah, certainly admirable. And so the next logical step then is you you have the investment, you're creating the distillery. You want to create a single malt distillery, a global brand. Yep. And there are, so thus there have to be certain guidelines. Now, yes. uh, I know, I think on the website, you, know, you mentioned that you basically followed the SWA, the Scottish whiskey association the scotch whiskey association rather guidelines for whiskey yes and, and no. it can be called whiskey yes and no. yeah yeah um, yes yes and no and i think just, i think it would yeah sorry go ahead no no i just want i was just curious if, if new zealand had any of any regulations like that in place um but also <laughs> uh, what you were going to answer as well so go ahead <laughs> yeah I think for us, there's there's there's, there's, there's the, the underlying thing which is really key for me is that we're we we are not making a Scotch whiskey in New Zealand, uh, and that for me was from the start is that you know I'm owning it. We're we're making a New World whiskey. We're making a, a Kiwi whiskey, um, and so you know I'm very proud of our our country, our heritage, etc. Both myself and my wife are are New Zealand citizens now, um, and we're very proud proud of our home here. So 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 for us, it wasn't about taking inspiration from the past um we're kind of going no we're building our story from today and and we are doing things a little bit differently than than which we'll get into as well further down the track um as far as kind of you know rules and groundwork is concerned when when we started the distillery there wasn't any um and it was actually quite uh quite quite challenging to build a distillery in a country which doesn't have infrastructure and legislation um because it's actually more difficult when there aren't rules because you're not quite sure what you do if you've got rules to follow it kind of makes it easier so we did a lot of work with the authorities over here to kind of work out what they would be expecting for the future industry etc and the rest of it and as far as the guidelines for making single malt whiskey there was there were no guidelines at all um you could literally distill whiskey put it in a barrel for a day and put it into a bottle if you wanted to in new zealand um, that obviously wasn't feasible um, and, and, and able to keep going. So, so, so what, what we basically did is we've, with a, with a small group of distillers over here, we've written some guidelines. Um, that's not legislation at the moment. It's obviously going to take time to put that in. Um, but we're very much following the, the Australian model. Um, so it's going to be a minimum of two years in, in cask. Um, it's going to be, has to be bottled, distilled, um, and yeah, so bottled, distilled in New Zealand. So there's going to be no bulk supply outside the country. Um, we are specifying copper pot stills as well to make sure that they're, they're, there's, there's respect for the, for the traditional on that side. 
um and and yeah and so and the only thing we're kind of doing things a bit differently is that we're not specifying outcasts yeah we want to leave a little bit of freedom around the wood at the same time as well um there's some fantastic other woods that it's possible to look at so we'll you know uh, leave a little bit of kiwi ingenuity in there to to allow us to do some 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 different stuff so that's kind of being worked on at the moment to, to find a path through to legislation um but everybody who's making whiskey in new zealand today is following those rules and, and doing it properly which is really cool that brings up kind of two questions in my mind the first one being uh one i was going to ask later was that if you're following the to a certain extent, if you're following the SWA um, in any way, you know, how do you adapt that to the New Zealand climate, especially mm-hmm. the North Island, which basically just answered, and we'll get into a little bit more too. Um, but the other thing I, I do want to ask about is that you're not specifying yoke casks. Yeah. And the the reason that piqued my interest right away was, uh, you know, we're hopefully going to be getting some American single malt uh, regulations in the next year. Yeah. Uh, the last I heard, the estimate was going to be over the summer of 2023. Here's hoping. Uh, but one of the things that they're, one of the rules rather that was put in as a suggestion was, you know, can we, it basically they decided on it has to be oak, but it doesn't have to be new oak. Okay. Everything else in American whiskey other than corn, mm-hmm. um, you know, corn whiskey can be used, blended whiskey can be used, uh, but American single malt hadn't gone either way. So they're saying you can use new, used a blend of both, whatever you'd like, as long as it is oak. Anything else has to be considered a finishing okay. instead. So uh, yeah, it was just something that that definitely piqued my interest. And uh, are there kind of native New Zealand or um, even New Zealand and Australian? I, I know it's not proper necessarily to lump them both together automatically. So my apologies in advance for doing that, but are there <laughs> quote unquote, you know, other local woods that, you know, make good barrels? There, there are. And um, so, so, so that's kind of part, part of our story as well. So it's all part of the kind of, you know, I'll probably take a step back and then answer that question as I move forward yeah. kind of thing. But, um, so, so, so as part of the no compromise in anything we do kind of thing is that we, we've got everything on site. So we, we obviously we we mash, we distill, um, we mature. Um, to my um, disgust, almost we also bottle as well. Something I didn't want to do. <laughs> we are we are doing bottling on site. So we've built our own kind of filtration filtration units and and bottling plant, etc. Um, and there's been no coopering in New Zealand for ooh, thirty years now, which is a bit crazy with the wine industry, etc. And the rest of it. Um, so as part of our kind of no compromise, as my wife would say, you know, doing everything <laughs> everything to its full. <laughs> um is that we've built a cooperage as well um so we actually have new zealand's only fully functioning cooperage at the distillery um with a master cooper who's uh who's been with us for for five months now we brought him over from scotland um and so yeah so we have the ability at the at the distillery to not only repair rechar dechar we can also build our own casks from scratch as well which is cool um and we have such have actually started doing that as well so we've started experimenting with some native wood so we've um We've built our first casks. There is spirit sitting in there at the moment. It's uh, it's very recent. Um, there, there's a number of, of of native woods that we're looking at. I mean, it, we're very much at the experimental side today. I mean, there's there's uh, uh, nobody's ever made casks out of this wood. 
So it's kind of one, it's, uh, can you actually bend it? That was the first challenge. Can you, can you actually bend it? Once you've made it into a cask, will it leak or won't it leak? <laughs> Is it porous? Isn't it porous? Um, what will it do to the spirit? Um, now we've obviously done some tests on, you know, on, on with, with various woods with new make spirit in the past to see not in casks, but to, you know, three, six months maturation to see how spirit will, will adapt. And we've got a good idea of a few native casks that will work very, very well. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it, for us, it's a really exciting project. It's something which is different. It's something which is going to set New Zealand apart as well. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're excited. That's, a, that's a, a, a really, a really, really exciting project for us. And this is jumping way ahead, but as you, particularly as you explored other casks, let's say non-oak casks, uh, do you foresee any difficulty uh, as you're growing into this global brand to uh, attract people to alternative woods or get over that initial, oh, it's not an oak kind of barrier? Do you anticipate that barrier at all? I don't think there'll be a barrier. I think I think the consumer today is really interested in provenance and is looking for exciting new stuff kind of thing. Um, and, and I think, you know, if we can bring new flavors to... Uh, to to what we're doing, I think it think is great. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, think about there's been there's been so much finishing going on for years and years and years. Whether it's you know, uh, sherry casks, rum casks, etc., the rest of it, where we're, we're we're continuously looking for for new ways of adding flavors to to the whiskies, etc. I think that the fact that you've got actual different woods bringing different intriguing, interesting flavors, I think it's going to be it's going to be cool. So, and we'll see when we bring it out. Um, but I but I, I can see actually people being really interested. I hope they are. I hope they are. We are. <laughs> and I hope they are too. The the only comparison I can think of at the moment that's kind of recent to me is I try to it was a Japanese whiskey, and I use that term loosely because I don't know if it is actually from Japan. Like the whiskey itself is okay. from Japan, but um, it was finished for or it was aged rather full six years in uh, sakura casks, so yeah. cherrywood casks, and it was amazing to me because the only other sakura finished whiskey i'd had was it was finished for six months and it wasn't in a full cask it was like only the heads were cherry wood and it was so right. overwhelming okay. yeah um, but this had been aged six years in a full cask made of all cherry wood and it yeah. was actually quite uh well balanced it was it was remarkable yeah. so that's kind of an exception right now but i do hope that there's like i said that there's more exploration and i hope that that barrier doesn't exist i hope that provenance question keeps being asked and, and pushed for sure and i think it's something as well i think it's interesting but yeah if anybody's going to bring these new things and new flavors to the table i think this new world whiskey that's going to do that you know obviously within within scotland there's a framework that is very very narrow kind of thing and it's uh you know it, it is what it is kind of thing but i think with, with leaving that little bit more of freedom to the new world whiskies it's great it allows us to experiment a bit and bring bring new flavors to the consumer which is cool i mean even in america our, our regulations are pretty strict i mean yeah. bourbon as a as a product is one of the most regulated uh, agricultural and food and drink products in the country um, yeah. in terms of what you have to follow so but luckily it gives the rest of the world a ton of ex-bourbon casks to use so <laughs> there is a there is an upside yeah that's it so yeah, i was uh, fortunate because of uh, our sponsored partner impacts yeah. beverages um, there'll be a mid-roll, I think, after I say this, um, just, you know, thanking them and, and uh, about what they're doing this particular month. Um, I was able to sample three of Pocono's whiskeys before this interview. Um, so I got to talk to try the 
try the uh, Origin, which is the uh, bourbon casks. Uh, Discovery, which is first fill bourbon and sherry. And then the double bourbon uh, single cask. And this is jumping ahead too, because usually we go through the process first and, and all of that. But I really wanted to just jump ahead to say that these uh, whiskeys are remarkably full-bodied, flavorful, very tropical. Um, and I, I, as I was tasting them, the first thing that hit me was just, it flows out of glass. I taste things out of Glencairn's. Mm. So, so it's consistent across the board. And um, some whiskeys have a very tight nose. And these, as soon as I poured them out of the bottles, they're just flowing out of the glass. Uh, and I was reminded of the like a New Zealand white wine. That's they're discernible because they've got the you know the higher proofs in terms of the world of wine, 16%, 15, 16%. But there's also that characteristic kind of passion fruit note that I get in them. And as I was tasting your whiskeys, I was getting the same feeling, this very lush tropical kind of feeling of it uh of course which is of course helped by the bourbon barrels and yeah. all of that with lactones but it was a single malt that clearly had its own provenance its own if you want to use the word terroir and and yeah. place sense of place which you use that phrase in the nbr interview and i've been using that because of dave broom's book uh so I was, that's probably the most, the reason I was most excited for this interview was to talk about that part of it. So um, as of now, we're recording in February, 2023. Uh, we're just starting to get distribution here in the US, but we'll be building and that's good. And I really hope um, I can grab a couple of bottles and get people to, to try it because it's, it's new and I like new yeah. and interesting. So that was a long soliloquy. Um, anyway, the, so to get those flavors and the mouthfeel that you're getting on the whiskeys, a lot of that must be attributed to the locality that you're in, the valley, the water. So jumping back into that, um, as you're going through getting the barley mashing, uh, sorry, getting the barley germinating, then milling and mashing, then fermenting, um, Take us through that process. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so we we use a hundred percent New Zealand barley. Um, so it's grown in the north of the South Island in a region called Canterbury, close to Christchurch. Um, that's the area that's the uh, most of the cereals in New Zealand are, are grown. It's obviously drier, better than the subtropical North Island for for growing for growing cereal. Um, it's uh, the barley strain that we use is Laureat. Um, so, and then it's malted for us um, in by a company called Malt Europe in the, the South and North Island. Um, they malt it to our specifications, um, and they'll they'll deliver up to the distillery. Um, we we batch distill at the distillery, so so we kind of we've got a batch process where we we use five hundred fifty kilos of barley at a time. Um, we've got a half ton mash ton, um, so it'll be two thousand seven hundred liters of of wort, um, three thousand liter fermenters. Uh, we have a 3,800 litre wash still, um, a 3,400 litre spirit still. Um, we've oversized the spirit still, so it allows us to do two wash distillations for a spirit distillation. Um, 
what what we do, as I mentioned earlier, in as far as the process is concerned, is that we've really slowed everything down. Um, I knew what type of whiskey I wanted to make. So you know, on the wash, when we when we do the mashing, we'll do a very long recirculation of the wort to get that wort as clear as we possibly can. All of our spirit, when it's all of our, our process times, all of our transfers are done very, very slowly. So we'll transfer from the wash tun to from the mash tun to the to the fermenters very slowly. We do a slow fermentation, um, so we'll ferment for 80 hours. Um, obviously, the primary fermentation is done in about 39. Um, we'll double that and we'll get a nice secondary fermentation coming through to develop some of those floral passion fruit notes that you can take You can take in the whiskey. Um, we'll then do a slow transfer to the wash still. Um, our, our beer is coming out about 8.9% alcohol. Um, um, the wash distillation is a traditional wash distillation. Um, yeah, it will take us about six hours to do a, to do a wash run. Uh, from the 2,700 litres of, of, of wash going in there, we'll get about 900 litres of low wines. Um, so we obviously do a double wash distillation. So we'll distill another ferment as well. So we'll, we'll end up with 1,800 litres of low wines, which we'll, we'll load in with our 800 litres or so of four shots and faints. Um, but, but then the, the, the main difference is in the spirit still that we distill incredibly, incredibly slowly. Um, so And we also distill quite warm as well. Um, so obviously I'm looking for a green grassy, a sweet, a smooth, a fatty mouthfeel on my whiskey. Um, and one of the key things for that is slow distillation. So, so we put an incredibly small amount of steam onto the stills. Um, we've actually had to put in a special piece of kit called an Ogden pump. Um, and that Ogden pump comes and blows condensate out my coils for me, because otherwise I'm distilling so slowly, I'd end up with having, um, I'd end up with having um, a steam hammer, which is obviously the last thing I want. Uh, we do get a bit of surging in the spirit still, especially the start of the run, but that's because we're putting so little steam on to to distill to distill uh, still so slowly. Um, our distillation rates about two and a half to three liters per minute, um, which is crazy slow. I mean, most distillers will be sitting at 10, 10 to fifteen liters per minute. Um, what 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 that means? um is that we're, we're basically by this slow distillation we're obviously the the the, the condensate struggling to rise it's falling back down it's struggling to rise it's falling we're refluxing continuously in the still and what that reflux is doing is increasing the contact with the copper and sweetening and smoothing my whiskey at the same time um we'll kind of it's probably situating me somewhere between a double and a triple distillation uh, because normally after a double distillation, you'll be taking your spirit up to about 68% alcohol, and then you'll be collecting down to about 62. Um, we start our collection at 77, and we stop our collection at 72. So we're probably somewhere between that double and triple distillation, just because of the time we're spending in the still, the reflux and pushing the ABV up. Um, what we're doing as well is we're running a very, very short cut. Um, so we will run on four shots for about 40 minutes um again that's a long time um because i'm trying to burn off those heavier alcohols etc and the rest of it um and out of what is an extremely long spirit run because of the the speed we're going out our spirit run will last between eight and eight and a half hours um we'll be on spirit for an hour and 50 minutes max so 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 it's kind of all through the process it's slowing things down and doing things a little bit differently um it gets back to that no compromise in any part of the process um, the idea in making, let's make that new make drinkable before it goes into the barrel, rather than using the barrel to hide a multitude of sins. That's the kind of the ethos of, of what we're trying to do. Absolutely. And the, I mean, certainly the kind of fattiness as, as you use, I think it's a good word for it. Just a very buttery without being greasy yeah. um, kind of mouthfeel to it. And uh, it's also a very apt thing of being between a double and a triple distillation yeah 
the you get the as the mouthfeel and the the heft of a double with the cleanliness of a triple. Yeah, so. and I think you've got as well what's really cool, and you know some of that's coming from the fermentation, some of it's coming from the water, I think as well. But we, we're getting the you mentioned passion fruit before, but I think what really distinguishes as well is the is there some cool citrus notes. I mean, on our new make, we've got these cool notes of grapefruit, pithy grapefruit that kind of come through. We go, and that's really cool. And like you say, it's those trop- it's that tropical feel to the new make, which I think is sets us aside. And, and as you said, gives us provenance. And I think the, com- the comparison with some of the New Zealand wines is, is really good. I mean, that grapefruit note, and as with the pithy, especially grapefruit note, was something that I picked up immediately. It was like the first scent out of the glass. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're, to be clear, too, we're talking sweet like a pink or red grapefruit not the type that your grandparents eat or um like just makes you pucker just looking at it uh, <laughs> you know, something something really sweet and and like when you take citrus peel and you candy it and it still yes. has that little bit of pith on there so you still get a little bitterness but it's mainly candied in, in syrup or sugar or whatever it may be and uh interestingly over the three products uh, i think that the double bourbon and the origin was the bourbon cast those two were closer in in terms of profile and then the discovery being a little bit different, but each had a different uh, element of that grapefruit and citrus going between, again, like a pink grapefruit to a Meyer lemon or a pink lemon, something like that. Very sweet, not overly tart, just tart enough to know that it's acidic. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's really interesting to say that, and it's, it's it's really good to hear because when we put all the products together, that for me that that really is the profile of our our new make, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to over dominate that with anything. So even when we're talking about discovery, which is our sherry influence product, and I do say influence product, it was, we wanted, we still wanted those citrus notes to be present in different ways, but we wanted them to be present. So it's really cool that you say that. It's great. For the, to, to go a little bit deeper on that for the, for the discovery, what kind of sherry cast were you using? So we, we used for the, so I might take a game, I'm, I'm play, playing around here, but I might take a step back again before I get onto that and talk about the maturations. I think that leads into, into yeah. that, in, into that quite well kind of thing. So, 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 so I mean, as far as the maturation is concerned, really the, the climate that we have is, is crazy down here. Um, I mean, when we built the kind of distillery, we were kind of going, yeah, yeah, New Zealand subtropical. It's going to mature quicker. Obviously, it's going to mature quicker. So we kind of built the business plan going, yeah, well, it's probably twice as quick as Scotland, three, four percent a year evaporation rates. That that would be pretty good kind of thing. We'll get a quick maturation. It'll be it'll be cool. Um, when we started emptying the first barrels after three years to to check the spirit and see what it was like, we're going, oh, that one must have leaked. Oh, that one must have leaked as well. You get to the tenth barrel, and you go. Did they all leak? Yeah, what's going on here, kind of thing. Um, yeah, our evaporation rate is sitting at nine percent a year. Oh, it's uh, it's absolutely nuts. Um, so you know, after three three and a half years, I've lost thirty percent of my barrel. Um, it'd take me fifteen years to do that in Scotland. Um, so, so so I think you know clear clearly we're looking at this maturation is going rates going on one side we're going oh the business plan we might have to change it a little bit um the, the second thing was we're, we're getting these fantastic whiskies after three three and a half years uh, but what what made it uh, what was really apparent to me in the whiskies is that if you if you take a whiskey that has spent a long time in in an oak barrel for example um you know gradually those uh, most new makes are very vibrant and fruit when they start kind of thing but but a lot of that vibrancy in the fruit has been kind of 
kind of diluted over the last, over the 10 or 12 years is, is sat in an oak cask and, and the villain of the wood has started to take over those soft oak notes, et cetera, and the rest of it. I think because we are spending such a short time in barrel, you know, three and a half, four years, we're getting the smoothness from the from the quick maturation, but we're not losing those vibrant fruit notes. So I think that's true with a lot of the new world whiskies. They're very fruit forward. And I think that characterizes kind of new world against old world is that we've got the vibrant fruit forward whiskies in the new world and the softer oak tannins coming the old world whiskies, I think is really cool as well. Yeah, I can see that divergence for sure. And with, I'm just thinking of the, uh, so one of the recent interviews was with um, John Campbell now at Lockley Distillery yeah. in Scotland. And um, he was saying that, I'm trying to remember the, ex- I'm not going to remember his words exactly, but um, basically, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's planning for not just the three-year distillate that's coming out now, a three-year age distillate in, yeah. in the new first editions, but uh, for the 10-year, the 15, the 25-year versions of these things down the line. Um, now, obviously, that doesn't seem like that's really an option for you. <laughs> so, um, you It'll know, be a very expensive 10-year-old when I get there. Exactly. I have a little syrup in the, the bottom. New Zealand, new Zealand years are like dog years. You have to multiply by five. <laughs> right. So as you're starting to to really empty these at at a larger rate and i I know you're in the experimental phase still but you're also putting out a solid more than solid products as well are you um are you already seeing any uh, signs of over aging or over casking it's it's interesting because we're we kind of we so we 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 bottled quite a lot of product last year um and this year we've kind of been checking our oldest spirits sitting at about four and a half years old at the moment and and we're looking at the four and a half year old spirit and it's definitely lost a little bit of that vibrancy um so so i think we are going to get to the point where we're kind of going, we might not want to take this much further. Or if we are, it's more of an experiment than anything else. Or or actually, do we have to go into second fill barrels for, for longer maturation? But yeah, as we were saying earlier on, you know, the kind of evaporation rates that we've got, the, uh, yeah, our, our 10, 12-year-olds are going to be the equivalent of, you know, the, the top end, the top end, extremely old whiskies in, in, in other parts of the world kind of thing, because we're going to get very small volumes out there, even if we do decide to age that long. Sure. And there are similarities there with, uh, I'm thinking, it's kind of the same in evaporation rates, but complete opposite in humidity. But uh, Santa Fe Spirits and yep. uh, and also Whiskey Dubak in New, Ze- in New Zealand, <laughs> New Mexico and Arizona, respectively, you know, they're getting about an 11% angel share a year. Yeah. But Santa Fe's got almost zero humidity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're, they're putting a product at about a year and a half, two years old. That's ready to drink tastes great because it's just aging that much faster um so we were, fi- we were finding that as well we were finding that kind of a year and a half the whiskey was 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 more than drinkable kind of thing but i think uh, we, we've hit kind of we've waited i mean we could have released earlier kind of before before the three if we wanted to especially in areas like new zealand australia we decided to wait until we really thought we were hitting the product profile that we did and and that three and a half four years for us i think really is that sweet spot um which i think at the moment is we're really enjoying the spirit of that age it's going to be interesting to see how it does evolve to an older age um but i'm not i'm not convinced that you know we we are wanting to push it a long way past that it's again crystal ball but i'm not convinced that we do we'll see sure i mean likely with those evaporation rates you're probably right it's going to be what it's going to be and at a younger age rather than a later age 
will probably hit yeah. its, its peak. Uh, I can think of like, I'm just thinking there's one exception in American whiskey, which is kind of for me, rye. Like you can have a really good young rye. Yeah. Um, you can also have a really great rye at about six to seven years old. Yep. And then for me, at least after seven to eight years old, it really dips. Yeah. And I, I don't like those ryes between like nine to 13, 14 years old. And then suddenly at 15, granted you got to get there and have enough distillate to get there. But uh, at about 15, it suddenly just starts to gain this whole new character. Like it's getting a second yeah. wind. Um, granted with lower evaporation rates, which with much uh, longer aging processes, but I'm just curious, this, as you said, it's crystal ball. I'm curious to see if that would happen well, if you just kind of let crystal, it go. It's and, crystal ball. And we, we decided, I mean, it was really, really important for ourselves um, that, as, as you mentioned before, the Origin, you know, which is our lead product, is 100% first world bourbon cask. We didn't want to hide the profile of the spirit behind other casks. It was really all this care and attention that we've taken over making on new make. We wanted to showcase that out. Um, and yeah, and just really let that 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 profile shine through. Um, and I think yeah, the the quick maturation we're having just really shows through in that. But that vibrance of the fruit stays there, stays there. We only do first full bourbon cask. That's all we do. Uh, and and to be honest, with you, we take so much out of that first full bourbon on the first on the first maturation. It would be I think pretty pretty used for the second one. So so as soon as we've used them once, we then move them off to sell them to breweries, other distilleries, etc. And the rest of it. Um, but yeah, we we only use the cask once again. That's part. Of that no compromise thing in, in everything we do. And uh, I think this was either in that MBR interview or, or one other one. Again, like I said, this is one of the very few, very first interviews is, that yeah. you guys are I doing. I think this is the so, third one I've done. I think the third, second or third one I've done. So. Exactly. So this is this is kind of breaking news for for <laughs> listeners here. Um, but I think you said uh, you got the ex-bourbon or ex-American whiskey from uh, Brown Foreman, Jack Daniels. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we've worked with them for many, many years. So yeah, we, we take those. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they're they're popping up a lot in a lot of places, and that's not a bad thing at all. They're they're putting out a lot, so they've got plenty of barrels. <laughs> um, I'm thinking too. Uh, to do you when you're getting the barrels? Um, first question. First part of the question is: Do you get them? imported whole and then rebuild yes, do. you do okay um because yeah. you have the cooperage so you're one of the rare people who could actually you know we, we have could them i think as back. well it's uh there's only so much coopering that kind of at the moment we've got a cooperage a one-man cooperage so there's only so much coopering he can do um okay. and i think for us it's it's obviously we get we he's he's, he's pressure testing the barrels repairing them when they arrive for to get them fit for fill etc um and that that's key for us and we, we want to focus very much the coopering on on building our own barrels as well um and also obviously str casks etc and the rest of which is something that we're we kind of started started working on at the moment as well but new zealand str casks so gotcha uh, so the, the second part then is you're getting them whole so like how long does it take to get those barrels to you and uh, by the time they get to you, are, are you looking at a pretty dry barrel? Like, is there, I feel like there's no such thing as a wet fill, but you're getting from t Tennessee to New Zealand. Yeah. It's, it's, no, there's nothing, nothing, but it's the same thing in Scotland. I mean, how long does it take to get from the sure, US to yeah. Scotland? I think it's, a, it's not actually too bad. It would take us five weeks to get the barrels. Um, it's direct, direct route from uh, Kentucky into, uh, into Auckland. Uh, 
um, so yeah, so so they, so they get here. I mean, they get gets here. We check every barrel. We, we recoup them if necessary. Pressure test them, etc. And then it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty good to fill. Um, but anything in New Zealand takes ages to get here. I mean, there, there, there's very little stuff in New Zealand. You can't buy corks. You can't buy capsules. You can't buy um, glass bottles. You can't buy <laughs> everything's coming in from overseas. So it's yeah, you definitely have to plan things in advance. This month's Impact Spotlight is on Pocono Whiskey. Sitting just south of Auckland on the North Island of New Zealand, Pocono is one of the Pacific Rim's newest distilleries. Founded by whiskey industry veteran Matt Johns, Pocono set out to create a uniquely New Zealand single malt whiskey, one that would bring the lush subtropical terroir into the world's most recognizable category of malt spirit. I've been able to try their origin and their discovery series, as well as a single-barrel double-matured and ex-bourbon, and each were truly fantastic. And in case you're wondering whether I really do get to try these things that I talk about or whether I even like them, I'm here to tell you yes to both. If I don't like it, I don't have to talk about it. And I can't stop talking about Pocono to anyone who will listen. As of March 2023, Pocono is just starting to come out into the U.S. market with a rapidly growing footprint. I sometimes say that there are distilleries to watch, this is one to watch while sipping their already world-class single malts. Check out my episode with Matt and Pocono in late March, and order your bottle of Pocono New Zealand single malt today. Hey, Whiskey Ringers. I hope you've been taking advantage of that podcast-only code for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. They've got around 20 bottlings coming out each month, and there's never a shortage of new things to explore. To take advantage of this podcast-only offer, please go to smwsa.com, that's Scotch Mall Whiskey Society of America, and put in code WRP for Whiskey Ring Podcast at checkout for 25% off your first year subscription. And as you're, because you're so heavily dependent on, really entirely dependent on, on import uh, for anything other than the very local agricultural products uh, yeah. that you have, uh, how did you manage the last couple of years with, with COVID and with glass shortages and all of that, just as you were getting ready to bottle your first spirit. I, I chose probably the worst year to launch a whiskey brand in, which was 2022, um, mm. because we were right at where everything was most difficult, um, especially in New Zealand, because we kind of lived COVID a year after you guys. We right. had a, we'd kind of shut ourselves off and we were free for the year. Everybody else was locked up and then we were locked up a year later kind of thing. So it was, it was, it was pretty difficult. It, it was all about anticipation. I mean, we, we, um, to be absolutely honest, I had built in a 12 month buffer <laughs> to everything, um, to receiving glass, to receiving dry goods, to receiving everything for the launch. Um, we received the last dry goods two weeks before bottling. So that 12 okay. month, that 12 month buffer had been completely used um and yeah if we hadn't done that we would have been would have been the launch wouldn't have happened um so it was kind of yeah it was it was frantic there was a lot of ducking and diving and uh, frantic phone calls and uh, calling in favors and stuff like that but we we kind of got there we got there in the end um and, and that continues i mean we have to we have to anticipate nine or 12 months in advance yeah everything coming into the country um yeah we've got some fantastic partners um whether it being on the glass the corks the capsules etc and we just work very closely to them with them to make sure that we yeah we can get we can get that get that in time i i don't envy you i can't imagine the number of sleepless nights you had in those just before that two week <laughs> period good god oh actually you know i so i missed one of my questions 
just jumping back a little bit to the stills, and I do this very yes. often on my interviews. Sometimes there'll be another thing that I forget. So, um, it, on your website, there are pictures of the stills, and it's part of the video yeah. intro to it as well. And uh, you mentioned the, the sizes of the stills before the 80, 80 sorry, thirty eight hundred liter and thirty four hundred liter yeah. wash and spirit still. Um, the line arms on both stills are nearly horizontal, at least by the picture. Yeah, probably. So, so the actual the line arm on the wash still is inclined downwards slightly. Okay. And the wash and the line arm on the spirit still is upwards. It's actually quite a quite a decent uphill, just because we're trying to yeah encourage that reflux, make it even more difficult to go. So that it might not look like that on the photo, but yeah, the, the wash is down and the and the spirit still goes up. Gotcha. Okay. I mean that that still makes sense. But yeah, I was looking and I was like, that's remarkably you know even plain um, but that makes more sense um, yeah. and the those stills were uh as i said in the interview one of the few things imported from scotland from mcmillan yeah and were the were those based on any other previous design or design or from scratch well, there's, from there's only so much you can do with stills that size um i mean our, our aim was to make them as tall as we possibly could um because obviously we're trying to make a, a sweet and smooth whiskey so we were very much accentuated on the we wanted the snot swan neck and we wanted the tall stills um after that there's only so much you can do on stills that size and far as as far as shape and shape and form is concerned so they're kind of quite a traditional kind of swan neck still um but yeah i'd say that the height the height to given given the volume of the stills they are quite high Gotcha. I, I can I can probably say the tallest stills in I can say the tallest stills in New Zealand the time being, but there's there's not many stills in New Zealand. <laughs> no, no one needs to know that second part. You could just say the, the highest one. <laughs> We've got the tallest stills in New Zealand. There you go. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, you know, we all this comes through in the whiskeys, the house style, the in both flavor and feeling. Um, the climate as well, and just the, the the tropical sense of it. I think you get the tropical notes from the flavors, but also somehow from the environment. Yeah. Um, so those all come through, and so I think you also get a little bit less evaporation just because there's less airflow. Um, oh if God, can you imagine if, how much evaporation would go if they were racked? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> by, by having them packed so tightly together, you get less less airflow. So hopefully, less evaporation. Um, must be a beautiful microclimate in between those barrels, though. It is. It's nice. It's a, in a hot day, we kind of go and hide out in the middle and just yeah, have a chat in the middle of the barrel room. It's quite nice. Yeah, we, we rack a small amount of casks, but um, mainly just for kind of, you know, we keep an eye on the maturation for sampling for different types of casks, etc. Um, obviously, when you palletize, we palletize six high as well. So it's quite high. So once you once they're up there, you don't really want to be pulling them down every every month. Well, for sure. For sure. And with the with it being palletized as well, do you <laughs> think of best way to phrase this one too? Mm -hmm. uh, with it being palletized and the capacity you've got now, the other option that in theory, strictly in theory, that yeah. could be done would be to uh, do dunnage style. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like that wouldn't really be an option since you're basically you're in a valley, but you're basically at sea level. Yeah. So would was dunnage ever a um a consideration? No, or... wasn't it, it wasn't something that we kind of looked at. Um, I think as well because of yeah, just because the ratio of the land and the space, etc., and the rest of it. I mean, we're today we're sitting on a, a kind of five thousand square meter site. Um, which we've still got half of to develop. Um, so we've got plenty of room to for further warehousing, et cetera, and the rest of it. Um, but it was more looking at utilization of the site as well. So with the bringing the subtropical climate that you're then dealing with, yeah. um, what do the outsides of these warehouses look like? They're, to make it even worse, they're black. <laughs> so so we, we basically, I mean, we've got, uh, we, we, we've gone for, um, ours is a traditional kind of, uh, if you use traditional with uh, New Zealand whiskey, New World whiskey, but we've we, we've gone for a working distillery. Uh, we're not necessarily a beautiful distillery in a, in a lovely landscape against the uh, Lord of the Rings hills, etc. and the rest of it. Mm -hmm. um, so we, yeah, we're a couple of big black steel buildings, um, which inside we we spent all our money on the inside of the distillery, not the outside of the distillery about making making the good whiskey um so big big black steel sheds um goes well with our branding with our, our kind of silver and copper branding up on the outside of the buildings um and yeah people people aren't really sure from the outside what goes on inside apart from all the stacks of barrels by the cooperage <laughs> sure, for sure with the and with the subtropical climate are you pretty much at the same kind of uh climate throughout the year or is there any variation therein yeah, it, it 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 does change. I mean, we will, you know, we're 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 supposed to be in summer at the moment. I'm looking out the door; it's raining, so obviously we're not. Um, but you know, during the summer, we'll go from twenty to twenty to thirty degrees, kind of thing. Um, but the New Zealand sun is brutal. You know, twenty degrees over here feels like forty degrees in Europe. Um, there's no there's big holes in the ozone layer, just above just above New Zealand. Um, crazy levels of humidity during the the winter. Um, it's wet and humid. Um, it doesn't get cold. It never gets cold. I mean, the coldest we will get here is maybe 10, 12 degrees centigrade. Obviously talking centigrade, not Fahrenheit. Um, and it will go up to kind of 18, 20 even during the winter. So you know, I've lived in New Zealand for 13 years. I've still not put a coat on since I've been here. Uh, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it never gets cold, but we do get those variations in, in humidity and temperature. Gotcha. So the, and the, thus the, I'm assuming the warehouses are just kind of let to, yeah. Be what the weather will people be. People have you know, asked me, no people said to me, why don't, why don't you temperature control them if you're getting so much evaporation? I'm kind of going, well, no, because I'm making Pocono whiskey. If I start temperature controlling, I'm no longer making Pocono whiskey. I've just got to let it go. So we just, yeah, it's all part of the game and and, and let it roll. That's good. I mean, not that you have to run by me, but that's certainly good with me. Uh, makes sense. <laughs> with a, you said you have about half the space uh, on site left over. What are your kind of grand plans for the next uh, phase? growth uh, i think you know we, we at the moment we've got so we've got four fermenters at the moment um so our only roadblock for increasing the volume is is the number of fermenters we've got the mash tun and the stills can do as much as we want um at the moment we we don't need the volume i mean we're not even running at capacity now we're we're kind of we're probably distilling about about 75 to eighty thousand liters of pure alcohol a year um but we're only distilling for ourselves we're not doing any founders cast contact distilling etc we're just growing the brand um so we'll probably carry on at this rate for another year or two um we've got a theoretical capacity of around 100 120,000 liters of pure alcohol at the moment um by adding an additional six fermenters we'll take ourselves to a quarter of a million 
So we'll probably do that expansion in 2024, I'm thinking. 24, end of 24, 25. Um, and at that point in time, you know, you more capacity, we're going to need more warehousing, <laughs> another warehouse, and then uh, then we'll need more room and build some offices. And then we'll, yeah, it just kind of runs on. It's never ending. <laughs> it really is. I mean, uh, and more people. because you, more people, yeah, more than one Cooper. <laughs> more than one Cooper. The apprentices. <laughs> right. And because you're not necessarily aging this stuff for more than three to four years at a time, it's not like you're having, I, th I think a problem is not the right word, but the uh, thing that, <laughs> you know, like Kentuckians have where they have these huge warehouses and that are the stuff sitting there for seven, eight, 10, 12 years. Yeah. So they need more space they constantly, but you're able to kind of turn those barrels around much quicker. We kind so of turn, we're turning the barrels around. I think there's a number of problems, number of problems, but a number of things that we deal with is that we're turning the barrels around quickly, which means that all the barrels need to be quite accessible. So we can't be hiding, you know, back for 10, 12 years, et cetera, and the rest of it. Um, we're increasing our distillation every year. So even if though, even though we're emptying, we are increasing the distillation, but also we're only using the barrels once. So we've got a big volume of barrels that we're moving on as well because we're emptying those. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it's, if you, if you, if you're using first fill, second fill, third fill, fourth fill, you're mortisizing your barrel over four fills. Um, we're amortizing it over one. So again, it's kind of, it's just that barrel management and cast management as well. It's fascinating. I mean, I think, I mean, I've actually, I think we've run through all of my questions, which is uh, somewhat of a rarity for me because I, rarely don't talk that much so um <laughs> i didn't ask, i didn't answer your sherry question properly so I'll ask, I'll answer you, I'll answer oh that's sherry. true yes um so yeah so for the discovery what do you mean by sherry influenced and what kind of sherry are you using okay so so what, what we do on the maturation is that i don't do a massive amount of finishing um just because i find that it's quite difficult to always kind of especially when you're having a product you call range to hit that same profile time and time again with finishing it's kind of a little bit of an inexact science um so what we do is we we tend to fill into all of our barrels from day one so i'll go new make into bourbon new make into sherry new make into virgin new make into wine exception the rest of it. that will give me lots of different ingredients to make up my different whiskies after a full maturation um so what we do then is we make up our whiskies but we then fill them back into cask and we fill them back into cask to marry together perfectly for three months before bottling um again that's part of that no compromise thing i also fill them back into the same casks i've emptied so if I've emptied you know, PX Oloroso and First Fill for discovery, I then fill the, the vatting back into the same PX Oloroso and First Fill. So I'm not trying to influence it anymore. I'm just trying to marry it together. Um, so, so to go on to discovery, what we do in with discovery is there is a percentage of whiskey aged in First Fill bourbon barrels, um, a high percentage. Um, and then there's a percentage of whiskey aged in PX and a percentage of whiskey aged in Oloroso. Um, the reason we started at the start looking at just one of the sherries playing around with either PX or Rosso, I wasn't getting the, la the layers of complexity that I was looking for. So then we started playing around with them both um, and playing around with the kind of percentages a little bit. Um, there's a, actually a pretty even split between Oloroso and PX we ended up at. Um, and, and yeah, and I just find that those kind of savory notes, the Oloroso kind of counterbalance a little bit the, the overpowering PX. But but again, we weren't looking to overpower the citrus notes. So again, we were trying to come up with a, a kind of a kind of resort at the end, which still allowed that citrus to shine through, which it, it kind of sounds like we've just about managed to do from what you were saying, which was, yeah, that was the, the kind of ethos behind that one. 
Makes sense. I guess with that, I mean, what else, just to close out the idea of, I mean, this is the first time we're going to Oceania, let alone to New Zealand. So, um, you know, have we missed anything about what's going on in New Zealand today with not only Pocono, but just on the islands in terms of distilling? Yeah, I mean, there's some real cool stuff going on. I mean, we're still at the at the birth of distilling in New Zealand. Um, you know, if you put the whole industry together and the distillation capacity, it would probably be the size of a small distillery in Scotland. Um, so there's a long there's a long way to go. And um, Pocono is the largest distillery in the company, but in the country. But there's some real cool guys doing some cool stuff. You know, if you think about you know, Cardona, Thompson Whiskies, um, Waiheke, we're just building building a distillery at the moment. There's a there, there's kind of a, there's a small um, a small team of passionate kind of distillers, old distillery down in the South Island as well. Um, there, there's some guys doing some real cool stuff, and the cool thing is that everybody's working together to further the industry and to do things properly. And for me, that's that's really important. So 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 yeah. And the more people that come on board making the whiskey properly, the better. It's going to help us develop that category overseas, which is which is really really cool. And that brings me back to, and this will be, uh, I think, my closing question, which is, you mentioned that, uh, just make sure, that Thompson, uh, Thompson's had been the first of the kind of new wave yeah. of distilleries here. So when you're, and that's in like 2012, 2013, uh, when you're designing both in your mind and on paper, the distillery, did you talk to Thompson's and be like, you know, what are some very obvious potholes that I need to avoid and no not I mean we, we're very I'm Matt Matt and I are good friends so we have been for a long long time kind of thing so um yeah we everybody is kind of going down the wrong road everybody has their own kind of character as well which is great everybody likes different things in their whiskies so um so there's kind of a lot of variety going on in New Zealand which is which is great Matt's got his own house style as well which is very very cool um so yeah i think i think it's kind of yeah everybody's doing their own thing everybody's building their own story but together collectively we're also trying to build new zealand story which is which is great wonderful i think that is a perfect place to and so matt thank you so much for taking the time for uh again one of the first interviews i'm, I'm excited and pleasure. Uh, yeah it, it's it's a rare thing for me to be able to do this so um Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, I will be talking up these whiskeys. There will also be you know, reviews, tasting notes to come out with the episode, as as always. Uh, there will also be links to social media, to the Pocono website. Uh, yeah, please tag us out. on social media as well. We'll uh, be great. We'll tag back or however that works. I'm not I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. <laughs> all good. All good. So um, hang on with me for just a second after recording, then I'll let you go. Uh, it's been another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Uh, please, if you can, on your favorite podcast app of choice, leave a five-star rating review. If you got any feedback, feel free to hit me up at david at whiskeymywedderingcom or comment and I'll uh, find it somehow. And thanks for listening. Tell your friends and I'll see you next week. Hey folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating review on your podcast app of choice. And let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps or email me at david at whiskeymywedderingcom with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeyinmywedding That's whiskey with an E for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content, including our soon to resume under the influencer series. And $25 a month means you join the barrel share club each month. 
Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles that I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at WhiskeyMyWeddingRing or at WhiskeyRingPodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at WhiskeyRing. You can follow on Facebook at WhiskeyMyWeddingRing or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.